You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. Later, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to kick off in verse 15, but I do want to do a little review because. Here's the thing, I don't know if you notice this, but it's been a month since I've preached, so, so I might be a little rusty, so you're just going to have to give me some grace today, um, but it's been an awesome few weeks. I, I heard, I, we, thank you by the way, Donya and I and, and Ethan got out of town for a weekend and went to Gatlinburg, and I, I heard Pastor Tori did an excellent job talking about life groups, and last week Pastor Nathan's message was, was excellent and the vision message, but we're, we're, again, we're getting back into 2 Samuel, the shadow king, who is David, that's who we're talking about. We call him the shadow king because he's a shadow of things to come, Jesus. And uh, all throughout Samuel and really throughout the first half of 2 Samuel, we see David as this hero, this amazing, amazing hero that just loves the Lord and does whatever God wants him to do and doesn't do what God doesn't want him to do. And He's a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. And then we reach that halfway point in 2 Samuel and he slips up majorly sleeps with another man's wife, tries to cover it up by getting him to sleep with her so she gets pregnant, they think it's his. When that doesn't work, has him killed. And everything, everything pivoted from there. We haven't gotten out of that gutter since. And I gotta tell you, it's a real downer. Anybody know, like, anybody like, yeah, pastor, it's a real downer. Because God forgave him, and that's the good news. God, God said, I forgive you, I'm not gonna let you die for this, right? That is amazing grace, because he... <laughs> It, it was worthy of that. Murder, adultery, all of that, all wrapped up in one. You're not going to die. I forgive you. However, you are going to reap what you have sown with interest. <laughs> That's kind of what he says. And we see that happen when his daughter gets raped by his half-son and his other son, Absalom, sees that David does nothing about it, so he kills the son that did that, and just havoc reeks from there. And Absalom gets so upset with David, and we could probably uh, understand that because David, again, he did nothing when Tamar was raped. He didn't do anything. And by the way, men, that is something we can learn from. We need to reject being passive. We need to jump into situations and, and not take our hands off of them. And, and what we see happening to David is an example. Sometimes, men, when we're too passive and we allow things, things spin out of control, right? One of the things we're supposed to be Christ-like, one of the things Christ does is he brings order from chaos. And so David's not doing that. So Absalom starts to... Um, court the hearts of Israel and begins to try to kind of take Israel from David. And people start, he, he starts winning people over because he stands at the city gate. And he, you know, when, when they're coming out of a court and a ruling happens, he's like, you know, if I were king, I wouldn't let this happen to you, right? He's kissing babies and everything, right? So making promises he can't keep, you know? So, but it, it starts to work, and he starts to gain that influence, and eventually we find ourselves kind of where we are, where he has now taken the capital. He's taken Jerusalem. David's kind of in exile, and, and then it gets worse. Absalom, as a show of strength and, and uh, audacity, he goes and he sleeps with a bunch of women in front of everybody. I, if you ever wondered about the Bible being boring and dull and... Uh, sterile. 
Just read 2 Samuel, right, and other parts of the Bible. It's none of those things. Some of these things, if there were a movie made out of them, they'd be rated R. It would, no, no doubt, right? But Absalom does this, and God told David this would happen. When David secretly slept with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up, God said, you did this in secret. Your sons are going to do this in front of everybody. And there it happened, right? Our sin gets exposed. So we find ourselves last week where Absalom now is in Jerusalem, and he's trying to figure out, how do I end David? And he's got two advisors. He's got Ahithophel, and it is really Ahithophel. I don't have a lisp. It's Ahithophel. And Ahithophel used to be David's advisor. And uh, he was also Bathsheba's grandfather. That's the woman he had a, an affair with. So when Absalom began to rise, rise in the ranks, Ahithophel turned on David and said, I'm going to go help Absalom. And Ahithophel was notorious for being really smart, a great strategist, and having great counsel. So David was concerned about this. He even prayed this prayer. He said, God, let the counsel of Ahithophel be like foolishness. It's a good prayer. I've prayed that prayer about some people, you know, leaders and things. And anyways, <laughs> so he asks that, but then Absalom also has this other advisor, Hushai. And Hushai was planted in Absalom's court kind of as an undercover person for David, but Absalom doesn't know that. So he got advice from Ahithophel, who basically says, strike now and do it with overwhelming power, which was probably really good advice if you wanted to win. But then Absalom asks for Hushai's opinion. And Hushai says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everyone knows what a good warrior your father is. He's probably ready and waiting for you, I'm paraphrasing. Slow down, gather your forces, and then when he least expects it, you can attack. But if you attack now, he, he insinuates this, he'll win one small battle and the rest will scatter in fear. So he, he's appealing to Absalom's fear, but also his pride. And Absalom chooses to listen to Hushai, which is where we left off last week. He decides to listen to David's guy, turning the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. God answers prayer, right? That's our first lesson today. So we'll pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 15. Hushai then told the priests Zadok, Zadok and Abiathar, this is what Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I advised. Now send someone quickly and tell David, don't spend the night at the wilderness ford, but be sure to cross over the Jordan, or the king and all the people with him will be devoured. So Hushai doesn't know yet which set of advice that Absalom's going to take. Is he going to listen to Ahithophel? Because if he is, David needs to get out of there, right? But if he listens to me, he'll be all right, but he's not going to hurt himself by getting him out of there. So he, he has the messengers go and tell him both possible scenarios, kind of like a, hey, uh, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst, kind of a sentiment. Anybody ever heard that before? Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. So kind of like that. Verse 17, Jonathan and Ahimaaz um, were staying at Enrogel, where a servant girl would come and pass along information to them. They, in turn, would go and inform King David because they dared not be seen entering the city. 
However, a young man did see them and informed Absalom. So the two left quickly and came to the house of a man in Bahram. He had a well in his courtyard and they climbed down into it. Then his wife took the cover, placed it over the mouth of the well and scattered grain on it so nobody would know anything. Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house and asked, where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? They passed toward the water, the woman replied to them. The men searched but did not find them, so they returned to Jerusalem. It's kind of an interesting situation, right? Um, first of all, I'm a little claustrophobic, so when I hear about crawling into a well and having a lid shut on, uh, I get a little stressed out, right? But I guess that would be better than being caught by Absalom's guys. <laughs> so, um, and so you have to kind of wrestle with here for a minute. They hid some people, and then they lied, but it was to help David and God. So is it okay to lie all of a sudden? Right? Like, yeah, you have to wrestle with that for a minute. And there are other instances in Scripture where that happens. Rahab, uh, when the spies came to her house, she did the same thing. And here's, here's the point I'm trying to make is obedience to God and moving God's plan forward trumps any law of man. And so what she's doing is she's, she's aligning with David, who's the true king, which is in turn aligning with the Lord. And this has turned out to be a group of faithful friends for David. David had his share of backstabbers. But he's now finding out who his real friends are and that there are those who remember the real king and his kindness to them. There's a lot of times in both First, Second Samuel, we read, and, and there's a lot of times David could have really given up on humanity. Have you ever had a day where you want to give up on humanity? Like, you know, sometimes if you watch too many TikTok reels or whatever, you might want to give up on reality, right? Like, I just remember, I don't know what the trend is now, but the one that comes to mind uh, right away is the cinnamon challenge. You see people do stupid stuff like that, and you're like, we're doomed. We're doomed. Some of you are like, what's the cinnamon challenge? Good for you for not knowing. Don't look it up. Don't do it. It's very harmful. Just don't. Besides that, anyways. But there are days you get cut off. Your boss does something to you. Somebody backstabs you. Somebody that you love hurts you. I don't know what it is, but eventually at some point in your life, I don't know, it just seems to me inevitable that at some point in your life, you're going to want to throw up your hands, give God the what, and give up on humanity. David had those times. King Saul tried to kill him multiple times, and, and he, it wasn't supposed to be that way, and he tried to kill him even after God had anointed David as king. That might have been a place where he would give up hope on humanity, right? Then he's got all these people turning on him now. His own son's trying to kill him. His other daughter was raped, and his other son was killed. The world is really, in a lot of ways, falling apart around him. He would have every reason to give up on Give up hope and give up on humanity, right? But he doesn't. He is reaping what he sowed, though, right? He is, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, don't be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. We're seeing that in action in David's life. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit, we're seeing that passage in the New Testament as an example in David's life right now. 
And remember I said this uh, before when we read about Bathsheba and God forgave him. That didn't remove the consequences for him in this world. And, and still having consequences for his sin doesn't mean God did not forgive him. Right? My kids, when they get in trouble, which is hardly ever, they're perfect angels. <laughs> but when they do get in trouble, there's a punishment. There's a grounding, something. And I'll forgive them, but that doesn't mean the punishment's over. There's a lesson. There's discipline. The Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And so, yes, God forgives us. Yes, God forgave David. But this is, this is he's reaping what he sowed. And it says, when you reap to the flesh, you will sow destruction. That is what he, it's all around him, right? <laughs> and his kids are doing what he did, only worse. But he's also reaping some good things. It works both ways. It says, when you, reap, you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit. He has also sown, shown kindness and mercy to friend and foe time and time again. And the times he had opportunities to kill Saul when he had every right to do it, he wouldn't do it because he didn't think God wanted him to do it. And everyone thought he was crazy, right? When it came time to take the kingdom and he didn't kill off the rest of Saul's family, he didn't do that because he didn't think God wanted him to do that. When just a few chapters ago, uh, we came across a guy named Shmi, and he was cursing David. And one of David's men said, let me at him. He shouldn't be talking to you that way. David said, no, let him be. He's cursing me because God said he was going to curse me. <laughs> he has sown faith, and he has sown kindness and mercy to other people. So it's not just the, the results of sin and death he's reaping, but it's also the seeds he's sown to the Spirit, right? That's encouraging to me. Because, yes, it's the same in my life. I will reap what I have sown. And if I think I won't, it says this, don't, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. No one in history or ever will get away with things. Period. You will reap what you sow. And I will reap what I sow, both good and bad. But the good news is because of what Jesus did on the cross, opening heaven to us and washing us clean of sin so he erases our separation with God, I will reap good things too because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Right? So that's just a, a note of hope for you today because you might be sitting there sinking in your chair saying, if I reap what I've sown, I'm in big trouble, real big trouble. Yes, but there's also mercy and he will show it to you when you put your life in his hands. It's in moments like these with David that he, it's a reminder that God is at work, right? Small signs of his favor had to be encouraging for him at a time like this, right? I mean, think about it. The world's crashing down, and yet at the same time, there's these group of people who are coming to warn him and coming to show him kindness. Verse 21, after they had gone, Ahimaaz and Jonathan climbed out of the well and went and informed the king. They told him, get up and, immedi uh, and immediately ford the river, for Ahithophel has given this advice against you. So David and all the people with him got up and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, there was no one who had not crossed the Jordan. It's official now. Absalom did not take Ahithophel's advice. 
Hushai's counsel worked. Pray that you have a friend like Hushai. The scriptures um, call him a, an advisor, but when you look at that word uh, in the original language, it actually means trusted friend. And so David had a trusted friend placed in just the right place. I hope you have a trusted friend. But not just a trusted friend. One that you can trust will help you get closer to Jesus. One you can trust will tell you what you need to hear when you need to hear it. That's what he had here, right? Your circle of friends matters more than you think. Right? In the New Testament, there was a crippled man whose friends brought him to see Jesus to be healed. Some of you know where I'm going with that, right? And so they couldn't. They pressed in, and they couldn't get in to see Jesus because there was too many people there. So they went and climbed up on the roof, carrying their crippled friend, cutting a hole in the roof to lower him down to see Jesus. Those are the kinds of friends you need that will bring you to Jesus at any cost, at any time, for whatever you need. Those are the kinds of friends you need. And your circle of friends matters. Because when you don't have friends like that, you'll be left with whatever this world throws at you, right? Just incidentally, that's why life groups are important. Because we need to put ourselves in situations where we make friends like that. And, And I'll just be open with you. I'm introverted. And you're like, Pastor Mike, you're not introverted. I'm introverted, right? Come hang around me when I've been around people for too long without some me time. I'm introverted. So just even going to a life group for me, I have to force myself to do it. But sometimes, most of the time, actually all the time, when I do go and be a part of something like that, I never regret it. Ever. I never, ever regret it. And I always look back and go, why was that so hard? That was awesome, right? So introverts, Hear my heart, you need it, you won't regret it. You need to get in a life group. We need friends like Hushai. Verse 23, when Ahithophel realized that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey and set out for his house in his hometown. He set his house in order and he hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. The writer is pretty matter of fact here. I mean, there's not a lot of drama or fanfare. So when Ahithophel heard that his advice was not taken, he went home and got his affairs in order and he hanged himself. One verse, right? Why, why such a drastic move? It was just one piece of advice that wasn't listened to. Well, I think Ahithophel, there's a couple reasons. One, his entire identity was wrapped up in what he did, his counsel, and how, what people thought of his counsel. And most of the time, people would follow his counsel. Now it became optional, and now it was looked over. He had left David, the true king. And the would-be king that he went to isn't listening to him. And he may even know that that advice that Hushai gave means Absalom's going to lose, and he's going to have to face David again, right? Which isn't a good feeling. There's probably a lump in his throat. It says he got his affairs in order. This was not, as, as much as this is just one verse, this was not a rash decision. He thought this through and got things in order. He planned it out. He was methodical. Why? Because the light went entirely out in his soul. 
it was gone. There was no hope. The soul, the darkness in his soul begat more darkness, and darkness cannot be displaced except by light. And he had no light remaining. He walked away from it. Because his identity was wrapped up in the wrong places. In some ways, too, when you look at this and, and you remember that this is the shadow king, this is in some ways an illustration of the king to come, Jesus. Sometimes we could do the same thing. Like, what do you mean? We don't, we don't even have kings, Pastor Mike. Jesus is our king. He's the rightful king. He's perfect. So I don't have to worry when I call him king that he's going to abuse that power because he's perfect. And we have a choice. Like I said earlier, we have a choice whether we will allow him to be king of our lives. And when we decide not to do that, to do our own thing, the Bible is pretty clear in the New Testament that we are either children of God or children of the enemy. So when we decide not to allow Jesus to be the leader of our lives, we're going to another wannabe king. And what Ahithophel found out is that's a dead end. Literally, for him, it's a dead end. He left the real king. He went to the false wannabe king. The false wannabe king didn't do what he wanted him to do, and now he's without hope. Every day there are people who reject Jesus, maybe not with their lips, but with their choices and their actions. And they go after something else or someone else. And when that thing lets us down, like Absalom let Ahith fell down, the light goes out in us. And if our identity, like his identity, is wrapped up in whatever that thing is, then it's not good, right? If my identity was wrapped completely in my career, or whether or not my career was a success, I will have already failed. My relationship with Jesus is what defines me. My relationship with Danya is what defines me. My relationship with my kids is what defines me. What good does it do for me or anybody else who knows me as an acquaintance if they look up to me and they think I have all these successes, they think I'm a great guy, what good is that to me if the ones closest to me are faltering because of my neglect because I'm so wrapped up in myself? What good is that to me? What good does it do to you to spend all your time on work or a hobby and lose your family and maybe even your soul? Maybe your identity is wrapped up in your work and the bitterness that you have towards someone. What do you identify with? That's a, that's a popular catchphrase these days. Well, I identify with that. Sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes what people identify with makes no sense, just as a side note, or identify as, for that matter. What, do you, what, what, is your, what is the basis of your existence? Because with Ahithophel, the basis of his existence was his wisdom, and he wanted revenge on David. That was the basis of his existence. What is the basis of your existence? Is it to make money and make ends meet? It could even be a good thing. Remember, idols 
Idols in our life are most of the time good things that we make into ultimate things. So what do you build your life on? I think one of the things that we could get from this, if we're looking at scriptures, James says, when you look at God's word, it's like looking at a mirror. And at times, that's a great thing. And other times, it's challenging, it's confrontational. And you read about people like Ahithophel, and you think, what a dirtbag, you know, he's terrible. But you have to be honest, as much as I'd like to identify with David as the hero, I'm probably more like Saul and Ahithophel than I am David. And if I am like David, I'm probably like David from chapter 11 on. Because I'm broken too. So when we look and we see ourselves, we, we ask ourselves this question, if Ahithophel wrapped up his identity in who he could be and who he could get revenge on, what is my identity? And Ahithophel is a good look at what happens to a person when their identity is wrapped up in anything but God, anything but Jesus. He made himself an adversary against David and ultimately God. You know the Bible tells us that without Christ, we are enemies of God. You're like, why? I didn't do anything to God. Sin, sin makes us enemies of God. God's perfect. We're not perfect, right? And, and God cannot have fellowship with sin. Why? Because, again, he's perfect. You, you know, one of the most basic things I, I talk to people about sometimes, like, we all want to go to heaven when we die, right? Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Don't worry, I'm not going to call you out. Okay, I want to go to heaven when I die, right? Because in heaven, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. There's not going to be any potholes. There's not going to be any winter, praise God. There's not gonna... Some of you are like, I like winter. Well, anyways. There's not going to be any of those things. I want to go where it's perfect. Well, I'm not perfect. So if God lets me into heaven with my imperfection, and he starts letting everybody into heaven with their imperfections, how long will heaven remain perfect? See, that's our problem. That's our big problem. That's the bad news. And if we're like Ahithophel and we wrap up our identity in something other than Jesus, that's our destiny forever, a separation. But the good news yeah. is God didn't want that to happen. He doesn't want to be separated from you any more than you want to be separated from him. In fact, his love is perfect. The Bible says perfect love drives away fear. His love is perfect perfect enough to send his son Jesus to die to pay the price for our sin so justice could be carried out because there is no peace without justice. And we can build our identity around the value that God placed on our lives instead of the value that we think we have in this world. You can build your life on the foundation of the value God placed on your soul and your spirit, your life, and say, I'm valuable to God. I'm so valuable that he died for me. And that's something I can build my life on. I don't have anybody else standing in line waiting to die for me. And so the answer to that question, or the answer to that becomes, 
Now I want to live for him. I want to live for the true king. Verse 24, David had arrived in Mahanaim by the time Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had appointed Amasa over the army in Job's place. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Israelite. Ithra married Abigail, daughter of Nahash. Abigail was a sister to Zeruiah. Zeruiah didn't practice this week. Joab's mother. And Israel and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi, son of Nahash, from Rabbah and the Ammonites, Machir, son of Amiel, came, etc., etc., all these names that I can't say. They brought wheat, barley, flour, roasted grains, beans, lentils, honey, curds, sheep, goats, cheese. They weren't on the Daniel fast. For the herd for David and the people ate with him. And they had reason the people must be hungry and exhausted and thirsty in the wilderness. He is reaping again what he has sown. He's reaping kindness from Machir. And we have, the, we have the benefit of hindsight when we read this. Like we know God is orchestrating all of this and he's moving things along and he, he's using Hushai in that place and he's setting things up for David to be able to take Jerusalem back. Not because David's so great, but because God's great and Absalom is not gonna do good things with that country. So to rescue them. And we can look back and we have that benefit of hindsight. They did not have that. When they walked through this, all they knew is what was right in front of them. And sometimes, just a reminder, sometimes when you read things in the Bible, I don't know about like you, but for me, I'm like, oh man, I wish God would work in my life like that. He does. He is working in your life like that. We, like them, at this moment in time, do not have the benefit of hindsight in our life. Now, you may not see it now, but you will one day look back and just like you're reading the scriptures now, and you're going, wow, look at God. You'll look back and go, I didn't even realize it at the time. I'm so glad I remained faithful to him because he was faithful to me. You may have already had moments like that in your life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? What are you doing, Lord? And then you get out on the other side and you go, whoa. God, you're so good to me, better than I deserve. Right? In fact... When I was writing this, I, I thought this, even before we give our lives to Jesus, even before I gave my life to Jesus, he was doing a work in my life. I didn't know it, I didn't know what it was, but he was setting up every circumstance and every situation so I could come to a place where I came to know him. And he does the same for you. Right, one day I'll look back and I'll learn about people who were praying for me that I don't know yet. I'll learn about all kinds of things that I don't know yet and look back and go, wow, God was with me from day one. Hmm. So he's reaping what he sowed. And Jesus, the king David was promised would come after him. Jesus is the king, right? He laid his life down on the cross. He had those who followed him like David, those who turned on him like David. By the way, it's worth pointing out that Jesus even had his own Ahithophel, Judas, who turned on Jesus, betrayed him, and his life ended the exact same way as Ahithophel. Dead end. He hung himself. 
David wanted to save his people from Absalom, the false king, who was abusing them and would continue to abuse them. And Jesus wants to save his people from the wannabe false king. There's a king of this world that wants to destroy our lives, separate us from God. And Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. And while we were enemies of God, I remember earlier I said the Bible says we're enemies of God. While we were enemies of God, while we were still sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. While I was still a sinner, while I was in the act of being an enemy of God, God was working in my life so I would come to know him. And I wouldn't be his enemy anymore. He does the same for you. And the whole Bible, all of it, even the Old Testament, is really all about Jesus. All of it. And I said earlier, my identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Without him, I don't do well. I told the students in Student Life Wednesday night that the three friends I hung out with the most before I gave my life to Jesus, one is in jail, one is dead, and the other one is serving Jesus. And he reached out to me when that happened, and he was so excited. It was Chris Evans. I don't know if you remember him. But that was where my life, my life was headed that direction before Christ came into my life. I don't do good on my own. But when I put my identity in Christ, he gives me purpose. He gives me value. And I find my value in bringing other people to him and bringing my kids to him and teaching them about grace. My identity is wrapped up in Christ and wanting to leave a heritage of faith for those coming behind me. Before Christ, I, I had life destined for self-destruction and eternal separation from God, pointless, without purpose, and disappointing. Since Christ, I've been rescued, valued, repurposed, restored, redeemed, and many of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been restored, you've been rescued, you've been redeemed. And on that solid rock, your life has been built since then. And perhaps the question today as we look at this, because when you look at some, sometimes when you look at passages like this, you're like, okay, it's a list of names and some details, whatever else. No, there's something here. And the question really for us today is, where do we find our identity? Because in the middle of all this conflict with Israel and David and Absalom, everyone had to really choose. They had to choose. And we have to cho choose. We have the choice. Are we going to leave our lives in the false wannabe king hell-bent on destruction and hurting God and reducing you to a puppet? Are we going to place our identity in Christ who said, I died for you. I raised back to life for you. I gave you my Holy Spirit to comfort you, to counsel you, and I'm alive for you, and I want you to live for me. And I want to make your life matter forever. I want to make your life matter for eternity. That's pretty incredible. Where's your identity? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. And that we, you didn't leave us in this broken world and say good luck. You've, you came, you died, you rose, you gave us your word. Lord, even the Bible, your word is a miracle. When we track through history, how it came to us, your hand is all over that. 
and we thank you for it. All the way to the point where we're sitting in here and we're learning from your word. It's alive. Help it to come alive in us. If you wouldn't mind keeping your eyes closed for just a minute, and this is between you, me, and the Lord. You say, Pastor, my identity is not built on Christ, and I want to, I want to put it there today. It's been misplaced, it's been wrapped up in the wrong things, and it's letting me down, and it's letting other people down. I don't want to end up like these guys. I want to be rescued. I want to be valued. I want to be restored. I want to be redeemed. Say, Pastor, that's me. Will you pray for me? It's just you, me, and God right now, and I'm not going to call you out or anything. Yeah, already. Just raise a hand if that's you. Say, I want to give my life. Maybe you, you need to rededicate. Anyone else? Yeah. We were praying about this with the worship team before service, and I said, this is a decision that has to be made repeatedly. There are times that I do better at this than others, but I have to make a choice every day. My life belongs to Jesus. My identity is in him. It's not in the sermon I preached today. Praise God. It's in him. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.